Well, greetings. My name is Scott. I'm the lead pastor here. Great to be with you all. Uh, we are continuing our series called Love God, Love Others on the book of 1 John, going chapter by chapter. I'll be teaching on chapter 4 this weekend and then next weekend closing out chapter 5 with my better half, Heather, who will be talking about godly relationships. Heather's an expert in relationships as a marriage and family therapist. And so we're going to be closing next Sunday uh, with a very practical message about how to love God and how to love others. It's the how that's so tricky for us, isn't it? So let's pray and we'll dive in. Jesus, thank you so much for this day. We, God, give you our lives. And we just pray that, Lord, you would take this message and that you would speak to each one of us. Lord, we love you. We want to hear from you again. And all God's people said, amen. Our scripture today comes from chapter 4, 1 John, verses 1 through 12. Uh, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. Because many false prophets... Uh, have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than he who's in the world. They are from the world and, and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever listens to God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. And this is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. And this is really one of those Sundays where I could just read the text We could maybe read it again, and we could just go on with worship because it's so clear what it is we're called to do. My message today is called From Fear to Freedom, here on the fourth chapter of 1 John, From Fear to Freedom. What John speaks about here in this movement from being slaves of fear to people of freedom is what he calls perfect love which if you translate the Greek could also mean complete love or genuine love, unphony love. Many of you have heard this before, but I was reminded again this week that the only way to spot a counterfeit $100 bill, really any denomination, the only way to really speak to, to understand what a counterfeit is, is to be so comfortable with the real thing. According to FBI agents, they're trained for dozens and dozens of hours by studying the original currency intensely so that when they come in contact with the counterfeit, it becomes so obvious because of their hours touching the original $100 bill. To illustrate, I have hidden $100 bills under select seats in this auditorium. You can look now, don't bother. There's no $100 bills. 
But recently I was just, I was reading again about this thing. And I've, I've talked about this again and I came across a, a writer who went to investigate. Is that really, I mean, we've, we've heard that said, is that really how counterfeit money is examined? And sure enough, the writer went uh, and met with somebody at the treasury that said that detection starts with understanding the real thing. And when you have an alternative currency, the, uh, the, the treasury officer said, uh, we direct our officers to touch Touch it, tilt it, look through it to the light, and examine it, the false currency. Because, and this is what I want to highlight for us as we kind of dive into First John 4, the best machine we have, the Treasury Department says, the best machine we have is the human capacity to recognize a fake, to recognize a phony. So in John's, you know, first John here, and John's, you know, retelling of the gospel to a very practical group of people. John, the writer of the book of John, the writer of Revelation, he wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, not to be letters, they were sermons delivered to real people like us, delivered to people that he loved. And these back to basics message was very, very practical. He said, I want you to hold fast. Yeah, there are fractures that are breaking up our unity. There are forces in the empire that are trying to distract and diminish our faith. We got we to gotta hold on to the truth that's the gospel. And that will allow us to test the spirits that are trying to disempower us as we are moved into complete love. Or the Greek there is teleos, as we move into completeness. And so John warns us that there are fears that want to enslave us, but real freedom is moving in completeness by the power of the gospel into God's great love, God's perfect love. Because God has the power to perfectly complete us as his love drives out the counterfeits, the phonies, the forces that want to diminish our love and diminish our faith. And so it'll be important as we dive in here to chapter four, as we can name the fake things in our life and name the impact in our relationships, then we can kind of lean into our faith to have this greater freedom to those of us surrendered to the spirit of God in our lives. Perfect love helps us to discern and to love better and to move out of fear and move into freedom because God longs for our faith to be moving us from people stuck in the phony of fear into the real freedom of life by the Holy Spirit. So let's dive in here. We're going to move pretty quickly through this, but perfect love helps us discern. Paul says it, I'm sorry, John says it helps us test. It helps us discern. Look there at the beginning of chapter four. He says, dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit. Every spirit that acknowledges Jesus has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard is coming, and even now, 2,000 years ago, is in the world. You little children, my beloved ones, are from God. You've overcome them, these evil forces, because the one who's in you is already greater than he who's in the world. See, they're from the world, therefore they speak the viewpoint of the world. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. 
So what John is saying here is that we must discern the right way to live in the world. The Greek word here for test or discern is dokimazo, which literally means to test or decide or to discern or to examine, to recognize as genuine after examination. We need to, John says, examine the spirits. What are the spirits? If you unpack that Greek word for spirits, it's the word pneuma. And it's a little scary to me as I say this week because I love the word pneuma. I love pneuma is what we also use for God's spirit. The ruah in Hebrew given to us in creation, the spirit of God. In Greek, the, the pneuma that was breathed into us. Remember when Jesus entered into the crowded room after his resurrection and he, and he breathed on them? Same word, the, the, the pneuma. But what John warns us here is that there are other spirits. There's other pneuma. There's other forces. There's other currents. And sure, there are demons, and there are evil, and there is, there is the evil one. And there are these spirits that John wants to warn us about. We'll need to discern well because there are constantly spirits that want to diminish our faith. Colossians 2 says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. So from the beginning all the way back when, there's this warning that there's forces that want to lord over us, that want to keep us enslaved. There are, there are phonies. There are counterfeit gods constantly vying for our attention. There are these forces, these, these forces that want to kidnap our faith, that keep us enslaved. There are external forces, those of us that have been around forces of drugs and alcohol and pills. There are ideological forces of leaders and politics. There, there are just external pneumas, the winds telling us, come and obey me. And there are internal forces, things like lust, distorting God's beautiful creation of humanity. Other forces of anxiety and depression and fear, forces that move us away from the mind of God and keep us enslaved to the mind of the world. The Bible is really, really clear, friends, that to grow in our faith is to discern the spirits and to test and see, God, is this from you or is this a counterfeit voice trying to lord over me? John is really, really clear in his, in his sermon here. Our, our victory is secure, but it does not mean we'll never fail. He does say we have power. We're called to to use that power to discern. And so discernment then is our ability to discern truth, God's truth in our life, what forces us. In 1 Thessalonians 5, it says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. This is God's will. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Examine them and hold on to what is good and reject what is evil. So as we grow and mature in the life of faith, that we come to Christ in a moment, we're given the full gift set of the, of the fruit of the Spirit. We're called to be on this transformational journey where we're testing and discerning. And some of you are like, well, test, I thought we weren't supposed to judge. I thought we weren't supposed to. Remember what Jesus said. Jesus said, do not judge or you too will be judged. 
For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So which is it, Jesus? Are we, are we testing and judging everything or judging nothing? I think both would be true here, where Jesus is emphasizing something that John is picking up on, that we are called to be looking inwardly and and examining the voices that speak to us about how to build a life. And when we look externally into the world, we can be gracious for the things that look like logs in others are oftentimes specks. And oftentimes, many of us are blinded by things that feel like specks to us, but might be logs. So we're called to be inwardly humble and discerning and testing, saying, God, is this from you? Or is this a counterfeit God trying to capture my attention? And when we look into the world, certainly discerning forces in the outside world that want to enslave us as well. But oftentimes... We can hold grace and mercy for people externally as we're seeking to listen to God first. This key uh, on discernment is so much of what John is saying. This is where perfect love is completed, is in the discernment. And be wary of being fooled by the forces that speak false truth into our lives. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, as we pastor theologian during World War II, he wrote an essay 10 years later, understanding, seeking to understand how the church in Germany was held captive by the false ideologies of Hitler. And he says, Bonhoeffer does, evil is not as dangerous as foolishness or folly. A fool, he writes, is worse than a villain because... A folly or being fooled is, is a more dangerous enemy to the good than evil. You can protest against evil. You can unmask it or prevent it by force. Bonhoeffer continues, evil always contains seeds of its own destruction. It always makes men uncomfortable, if nothing worse. But there's no defense against foolishness. Thus the fool, as compared with the scoundrel, is invariably more self-complacent. So John says we should be wary of the voices vying for our affection, the voices that keep us locked in places of fear. And I, I, I'm no f- fool, I mean, I, I am, but there are many forces out there that want to keep us enslaved. I'm as worried for the church in this moment, for the inward voices of self-condemnation and fear that keep us in prison from moving into God's perfect love. So John says we're going to need to discern what it is that we really put our faith in. And just a practical application, it's like, what do, how do I live with this, God? Is that when temptation comes or anxiety comes or voices trying to influence decisions, habits, d- upcoming, you know, kind of forks in the road, for you to speak to God in prayer and say, God, is this from you? Is this decision from you? 
Is this temptation from you? Is this thoughtfulness from you? Like this is where us as Christians needing to hear the voice of God in prayer and discern the voice of God is so paramount. So that when there are voices saying, go here, don't do, you know, do this, don't, like think this, we're discerning constantly. God, is this from you? Jesus, by your spirit, reveal your truth to me so that I won't be a slave anymore. Perfect love helps us discern. Secondly, perfect love calls us to love better. And I know this is a repeating theme over these little five chapters. Next week, again, Heather will be with me. It'll be a little more practical in our relationships because it's so central to John's sermon we call First John, that we can't love God without loving others. The vertical and the horizontal is interconnected in the person of Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that who would ever believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. See, this vertical and horizontal integration of the cross is so central to Christianity. Thus, our relationships are paramount to moving into perfect love. Because we can't be people saying, love God, love others, without actually loving God and loving others. Chapter 4 says, dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God, knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. That's a really powerful corrective there. We can't say we love God without demonstrating acts of love into our actual life. Continuing the scripture. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but he loved us. And sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. We've never seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us. And his love is made complete in us. Again, that word complete is perfect. The teleos, the wholeness. This is the gospel. This is the heart of the matter. That this is what it's all about. What is it all about? This is what it's all about, John's saying. He loves us. And so in response, we become creatures who practice what we preach, seeking to love the world. We, We love it by being a deacon and cooking spaghetti. We love it by reading God's word, by praying. We love it by showing mercy and compassion. Like we just, we gotta be people who know how to move in love. But for so many of us, we feel cut off from his love. See, we, we talk of love without experiencing it. It's like, a, it's like a dream, right? I have this dream. Like, someday I want to go to Tahiti. And I want to, like, he talks a lot about, like, going to sunny places. It's winter in Seattle. But, like, bear with me for a bit. Like, like you know, the, I've got this picture in my mind of, like, a hut and it's, it's got grass thatched roof, and there'd be a dock, and maybe a little, pe- like, and I want to sleep on the water. I, I've never been. Some of you have. I'm jealous. I have envy. I'm a sinner, saved by grace. It's a dream. It's a dream. Someday I, I'm going to go. We should go together. I'm like Bethany Tahiti, right? <laughs> what is he talking about? I don't have any idea. We talk a lot about God's perfect love. But unless we go there, it's just a dream. It's just a 
picture in a travel brochure and we hope to go someday. And I was told the spirituality that at the end, if we follow the rules, we might, we might achieve perfect love at the end when I'm good enough and cleaned up enough that maybe Jesus will really love me. And it kept me really stuck in a lot of brokenness as a younger person. My friends, John's saying, you've been given this perfect love. But it's not a destination for the end of your life. You're called to enter into it now experientially. It's why worship is so important. Because as we sing and transcend above the messiness and murkiness and brokenness of our world, we're trying to get in touch with perfect love. We've been loved like that. Do we believe it? Do we go there? Do we try to make a home in it? John says you can and you must. And then once you've experienced it, I'm encouraging you, church, he's saying, to pour it out in the lives of others. And this is what's crazy to me about 1 John. It's, he's not mincing words, like crazy in the greatest way, but so difficult to live into. He says the strength of our relationships on earth bears witness to our love of God in heaven. It's why community is so important. The strength of our relationships here declares our trust to our God in heaven. We say it, John says, now live it. And we've been really let down by people who wanted to love us, haven't we? People leave, we suffer loss, we get hurt. And so we go into the world saying, What's real about this perfect love? Henry Nouwen once said, I'm beginning to now see how radically the character of my spiritual journey will change when I no longer think of God as hiding out and making it as difficult as possible for me to find him, but instead as the one who's looking for me while I am doing the hiding. So I recognize it's a familiar theme here in 1 John but we have to continue to try to move into a horizontal love, loving the people closest to us. And two practical things I want to encourage you this week is like, how do, I, how do I work on this complete love? First, love the view and the people who are different than your own. Like challenge yourself this week to have mercy on somebody. And secondly, seek to love the person or people who you spend the most time with. Because it's in the actuality of our relationships that perfect love is measured. So for a mother with a young child who's going through a difficult time, for a spouse who's been let down by the other, for the widow in loneliness, but there's a neighbor or a friend or a family member, like maybe this week challenge yourself with a practical relationship that you can share God's love with. Perfect love helps us discern Perfect love helps us move better. Third, perfect love drives out fear. And John says, this is how love is made complete. This theme, complete love, perfect love, whole love. This is how it's made complete among us so that we'll have confidence on the day of judgment in this world. We are like Jesus. If you have your paper Bible, you can underline that. We are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. But one who has fears is not made perfect in love. But we are like Jesus. 
We're called to love God and have faith. And we have to continually ask Jesus to move us from places of fear. Because in places of fear, our faith is minimized. Fear are the bunkers on the battlefield of our life. And when we make a home in the bunker, we're saying, I won't move from this space. I'm going to stay in my fear. I'm going to stay in my fear of confessing that sin. I'm going to stay in my fear that there's not going to be enough money. I'm going to stay in my fear of isolation. We, we bunker up on the battleground that is faith. And God is calling us, move out. And will you have trust with me? Will you be humble with me and vulnerable with me? Because when we are humble and vulnerable and we say, I don't want to make a home in this fear, Jesus. Can I bring it to you? He says, now you're starting to move into completeness. We've got to let go. We're on this journey, friends, together. Because I experience a lot of fear. As a leader in a faith community, as someone, by the way, that God has made me, is really sensitive to pleasing people, I can be stuck in places of fear. And it was in prayer this fall where I felt like God was really encouraging me, Scott, I'm calling you out from the bunker you've made in fear. I want you to be daring. So fear has this incredibly crippling impact on our faith. Because when we cling to fear, and we will all experience it at a time, when we experience fear, but when we say, I want to, I, when I make a home there, we're saying faith doesn't really have power over me. But in, in faith, in radical faith, Jesus is saying, if you give me that fear, let me transform it, your faith will grow. Now, there's many historical examples of people that live this out. I'll share one with you. Teresa of Avila. Teresa was a 16th century nun in Spain who had this radical encounter with God. And in prayer one day, she heard Jesus say to her, I would create the universe again just to hear you say that you love me. She's praying to Jesus, and she hears the voice of the Lord say, I would create the universe again just to hear you say you love me. That's why worship is so important, because worship forms us, moves us out from bunkers of fear into places of faith. But when she shared her experience with other people, she was ridiculed, she was mocked, she was criticized. And the world will always criticize that which it doesn't understand. The world will always criticize when they see people moving boldly in faith because it scares people. Don't rock the boat. Don't, don't have a faith that big. And she had this incredible quote I'd love to share with you now about becoming unbunkered from our fear. She says, let nothing disturb you. Let nothing frighten you. All things pass away. God is unchangeable. Patience gains everything he who clings to God wants nothing. God alone is sufficient. We don't need to stay bunkered in fear. We discern, we move into love. As Romans 12 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove, you may test and approve what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. This is how our faith grows as a community. So the last thing I want to say before we wrap up about complete love, perfect love, this is what I really wanted to say today. It's like, well, you took 25 minutes to get there, so this better be good. 
Thank you for laughing. That meant a lot. Perfect love really leads to freedom. And I think what this feels real, um, this feels like a word for you all this week. I don't know exactly what God's going to do with it, but as I prayed and prepared, I felt like God wanted you to hear a specific word. The perfect love is moving you towards people of freedom. And freedom is not having this false belief that we'll never fear again. But freedom is the reality that we have real deliverance over those forces that want to keep us stuck. First John 4, 4, you, dear children, are from God, and you've, over, you've overcome them because the one who in you is greater than he who's in the world. If you are a person of faith, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Greater is the pneuma, the spirit of God speaking words of affection and encouragement over me than he who is in the world. This is the word of freedom. And God desperately wants to move us out from the forces that keep us enslaved externally, inwardly, from being bunkered up in fear to experience his radical love. To become people who dare to be free as a church. Freedom to love God and love others. To discern well. To have redemptive relationships. To move from fear. All of it is fueled by this growing faith in Jesus Christ. But our fear can keep us captive. And even at times we can stay stuck in places of captivity. I believe, friends, that God wants to move you into deeper freedom this year. And I don't know what that means for your life, but that's your encouragement in the week ahead. God, where do you want to move me into deeper freedom? Where do you want me to reveal the phony voices of authority in my life in order to tune into the real completeness that is the gospel of Jesus Christ? That discerning, that move into completeness, that abandonment of the bunkered life of fear into the new life of freedom. So I just have some questions that I'd want to share with you here. What do you need God's help to discern in your life right now? I hope you're doing that in community. It's why groups matter so much. If you're not in a group to be discerning, to just see somebody from church like, hey, it's been a while. Can we get coffee or can we talk after church? Like, I'm trying to discern something right now. And, and to be leaning into both Christian community and godly community. How are you asking God to help you test whatever situation you're going through? What is a fear you want God to lead you out of? What does freedom in Christ look like for you in the week ahead? And then just the practice to encourage us all to be praying and listening to God speak. God speaks, friends. So tuning into him in prayer. Say, God, help me name a fear that's keeping me enslaved. And would your faith increase in me in the week ahead that I would listen to you, the real thing, God, instead of the counterfeit, counterfeit one. Remember what Jesus said in the Gospels, who the Son sets free is free indeed. May we as God's people be set free by the Holy Spirit. There is a freedom that God wants to do in his people tuned into his radical love 
to be really worshiping him and loving this city radically. Before he can change the world out there, he's got to change the world right here. God gave me this great big encouragement in the year ahead. Be more daring for the sake of the gospel. That happens when we're free to follow him as the number one ruler of our life. Let's pray towards that end right now. Jesus, thank you so much for this worship. We give you our lives. We give you everything. Thank you for speaking to us through 1 John. God, as we continue in worship and we move into a time of communion, would you speak to us, God? Would you help us acknowledge that there are forces that are trying to hold us captive? And God, would you help even name some of our fears that we would then move into your freedom, free to love, free to live lives of worship, unencumbered by the forces trying to keep us stuck. Lord Jesus, we love you so much. Thank you for the ways that you are already speaking. Help us hear you in new and powerful and profound ways. And all God's people said, amen. This is Communion Sunday, and we're going to do this a little bit differently today because we love to continue to experiment with our worship. We want you to not just take communion, We want you to be served. Because on the night in which he's betrayed, Jesus took the bread, he broke it, he said, this is my body broken for you. Take it and eat it, it's a gift. And then he lifted the cup and he lifted it up with all of his best friends, knowing his life was about to end at the hands of the empire, but knowing that he would be resurrected to eternal glory. He said, this is the cup, the new cup, for new forgiveness for any, there's freedom. So as you eat and drink, do this in remembrance of me. And so today we're going to be uh, ta- we're going to be serving you communion. We'll have our prayer team members down front, as they always are. If there's something after communion that you want prayer for, we would love to pray with you all week long. Our prayer team prays for this specific moment to lead you out from places of fear into new freedom in Christ. We have communion servers down the side there and just from your aisle. I know it's clunky and kind of weird in this room and we're going to enter into it together. You're going to just step to one of these communion servers and they want to serve you the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And then as you're seated, you can take it as you're ready. In the body and the blood of Jesus is the teleos, is the completeness, is the perfect love to drive out the fear What's a fear you've been bunkered up in? Where does God's love want to set you free? So let's stand, sing, and when your heart's ready, you'll be served communion. You can sit back as we do it. And then again, prayer team members are here to pray with you as well. Let's worship together.